Today I get to preach on one of my favorite subjects by following up what I preached last week. We're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 5, first of all. Got two verses of Scripture we're going to cover there about the principles of prosperity. Say, Pastor, is this going to be one of those TV preacher sermons about seed money and all that? Well, I guess you'll just have to wait and find out. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 and verse number 18 says, and this is Solomon, wise man number one, wisest man that ever lived, behold that which I have seen. It is good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor that he taketh under the sun all the days of his life, which God giveth him, for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, this is the gift of God. Well, like I said, I get to follow up last week's message by preaching on one of my favorite subjects. Did you know that there are an estimated 2,350 verses of Scripture in your Bible relating to finances? That's a lot more than most any other subject you can name. Why do you suppose that is? Why do you suppose that is? I can tell just by reading these two verses here in Ecclesiastes that God's desire for His children is that some people don't believe that. But it's true. Why would God put over 2,000 verses of Scripture in His Word to teach you how to prosper with your material blessings if He wasn't interested in His children prospering? He is, very much so. Last week I challenged you to make a choice to establish proper priorities in your giving to the Lord. Tithing and giving is not about money. God doesn't need our money. And what an absurd idea that is. Tithing and giving is about honor. Very clearly, says, flatly says so over and over and over again. It's about God's glory and it's about our becoming what God created us and saved us to be. Beyond choosing what we will give, we need to practice principles that produce prosperity. We need to prepare for success. We need to cure the laziness. We need to establish a proper work ethic. We need to get a right attitude working on our behalf. And we need to practice principles like working six days and resting one. We need to control our mouth. We need to remove envy from our lives and desire a good name above everything else that we work for and look for. A good name. A good name rather to be chosen than silver or gold. Today we're going to go deeper into the details and we're going to allow God to show us more of His plan. Now before we get into these details this morning, I want to point out just one of the wonderful aspects of God's way of doing things, things that uh, 
keep us from being broke all the time. Anybody here ever been tired of being broke all the time? Is that God's plan? Well, that's just God's will for my life. You believe that? No, it's not true. These principles that prosper, these also create great opportunities to serve and to be used of the Lord for His glory. You're going to discover that unlike the world generally believes, it's not an either or. Either you can prosper financially or you can serve the Lord. That's not how that works. That's not biblical at all. Nothing could be further from the truth. Prosperity and faithful walking with the Lord go hand in hand. It's always been like that. So if you're tired of being broke, what you're going to learn here today will solve that problem for you. So you want to pay really close attention. If you are tired of having your good words of truth about Jesus rejected because of a poor financial reputation, How does it sound when somebody who can't pay their bills tries to tell you how to be rich beyond measure in Jesus Christ? Does that make sense? If you're going to have a conversation that's worth being listened to about the Lord, you're probably going to need a good financial reputation as well. One of the requirements of being a pastor, by the way, is to have a good reputation. If you ever have to choose a pastor from outside this church, which I doubt you will, but if you ever do, you know what the first thing you should look at is? His credit score. Number one, first thing you need to look at. You say, well, what about what he believes? It doesn't matter if he doesn't have a good credit score and if he didn't have a good reputation in the world, nobody's going to listen to what he believes anyway. And that's rightly so. If you're not broke, but you would like to go on to a new and greater adventure that's exciting and profitable both for here and for the kingdom, what you can learn here today is going to solve that problem for you as well. First thing I want you to learn about prosperity is that you need to recognize the source. You need to understand the source. It's not how hard you work. If it was about how hard you work, the Vietnamese rice farmer would be the richest man on earth. It's not about how hard you work. We already know that God is the source of everything that's good. Have you learned that so far? Do you believe that? James chapter 1 verse 17, Every good and every perfect gift is from above, and cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variableness, neither shadow of turning. Every good and perfect gift comes from God. It is God that provides for us. We just got through reading it there in Ecclesiastes chapter number 5. At the very last it said, this is the gift of God. But how does it work? Does God feed us like He did when He sent the ravens to feed Elijah? 
Well, I'm glad because I really did not get excited about eating after a raven. I know what they eat. God can do that. And He has done that in the past and He could do it again. But that's not usually the case. So, we know what it says in the book of Deuteronomy about wealth. In chapter 8, verse 18, it says here that, it says, But thou shalt remember the Lord thy God, for it is He that giveth thee power to get wealth. Look at our passage again. Ecclesiastes 5, 18. Behold that which I have seen, Solomon said. It's good and comely for one to eat and to drink and to enjoy the good of all his labor which he taketh unto the sun all the days of his life which God giveth him for it is his portion. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth. And by the way, there's not a person in this room that's not far richer than 98% of the whole rest of the entire world. You think you're poor? Well, you're not as poor as you think. Every man also to whom God hath given riches and wealth, and hath given him power to eat thereof, and to take his portion, and to rejoice in his labor, what's it say? It says, this is the gift of God. The Bible says that God actually gives us things. What is it though? Is it stuff? Does God just give you stuff? Is it money? Does God just give you money? Or is it opportunity? God gives us that too. That's not what it says. What the Bible says that God gives us is power. Power to get wealth. Power to eat thereof. Power to take our portion which He has provided for us. Even the power to rejoice of our labor. You ever get a job finished and it turned out okay and it's... Doesn't that make you just rejoice? Vasil back there, I know what he does for a living. He rides around in his truck all day and eats chicken and talks on the telephone. <laughs> That's what contractors like me and him do when we're working. Okay, all right. <laughs> when a guy like him finishes up a job, or Josh there, or any of you really, whether you're working for somebody else or not, even Justin back there, and you know how little work he does because he's the associate here. But like fish finishing up vacation Bible school, did he sound like he was rejoicing in that labor today? It feels good to finish a job and it's done well and it pays off. And even the concrete that the guys didn't mess up this time, R.O., I, I know it makes you rejoice in your labor. God gives us the power to do that. It is a gift from God. Most everything God does works like that. John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Verse 12 says, as many as received him, it's talking about Jesus who is the Word made flesh, but as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. 
Jesus came as a baby in Bethlehem's manger. He, that's when the Word became flesh. But now He has also come to us as the Word. You hold a Bible in your hands, I hope. That's Jesus you're holding there. Now He comes to us as the Word, there in verse 1, and thus when you receive the Word, what do you find in it? You find the Gospel of Jesus Christ. How He died for our sins and was buried and raised from the dead the third day. What is that message? That message is the power of God unto salvation to everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. The number one thing that we taught the kids all week long in vacation Bible school was the Gospel of Jesus Christ. That He died for their sins. Paid the debt in full. And when they buried him, the grave couldn't hold him, and he rose again the third day in victory over all of this. It has the power to make them God's children. It has the power to make you one of God's children. Most of you have exercised that power, and you know what it means. Some perhaps have not yet. You say it is also in God's Word that we find power Not just power to be saved, but we also find power to prosper. The next thing I want you to remember, remember who you are. I want you to remember who you are. You, if you put your trust in Jesus to save you from your sins, you are a child of the living God. That's who I am. I can tell you a lot of things about who I am, but I can't tell you anything I'm more proud of than to be a child of the living God. And I can say that because of the power of the gospel. Being a child of the living God, that makes you a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Romans 8, verse 16, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit, that we are the children of God. And if children, then heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Do I need to remind you of who your father is? Your father is God Himself. Fifty-seven times in Scripture God reminds us that our Father in Heaven is the Almighty. What's that mean? That means He can do anything. That means He can keep every promise. He is Creator. That means that nothing that is according to His will for your life is impossible for you. Read it yourself. Mark chapter 10, verse 24. And the disciples were astonished at His words, but Jesus answereth again and saith unto them, Children, How hard is it for them that trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? Exclamation point. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? Jesus looking upon them, With men it is impossible, but with God, but not with God, for with God 
all things are possible. Then Peter began to say unto him, Lord, we have left all and have followed thee. Jesus answered and said, Verily I say unto you, There is no man that have left house, or brethren, or sisters, or father, or mother, or wife, or children, or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive an hundredfold now in this time, houses, and brethren, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands, with persecutions, and in the world to come, eternal life. You know Ephesians uh, not Ephesians, excuse me. You know Philippians 4.13. You know it well. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. Amen. If people say, well now that's just silly. You can do all, well, let's see you fly. You believe that verse, Andrew? Well just fly up here for me. What it means is I can do all things that he just said in the Word of God previous to this. And let me tell you something, that's better than being able to fly up here. What part of this verse do you not believe? I can do all things through Christ. Wow. I was told a long time ago, even before I got saved, that I should be a possibility thinker. You know what that is? That's a person who thinks about what can be done instead of what can't be done. You need to be that kind of person. Is that how, is that how you approach problems in life? Do you think about what can be done or you just think about what can't be done? One of the most common mistakes that Christians make after they've been saved for a while is leaving their church where God set them. Somehow they start thinking that they know more about what they need than God does. So I want you to answer this question. Who knows best what you would be good at and what you would be happy doing? You or God? You've tried to do a lot of different things to make yourself happy. Has that worked out for you? Then why do you only look for employment or business opportunity in the same field doing the same thing that you've always done? Most people say, but it's the only thing I know how to do. Somebody described that once as a as that rut you're in is they said it was a grave with the ends kicked out. Back when I was unemployed at one time, I had uh, I had been working in a company for my brother, and uh, my brother went bankrupt. The company went went bust, and I found myself with no job. No income, and no idea whatsoever what I thought I wanted to do. And I, I know what I had done before. And as I as I kind of mentally went across that list, I I didn't really like any of it, and I didn't like the pay either. 
which wasn't very good. So I thought, and, and I wasn't saved yet. God taught me a lot of things before I got saved. And then he taught me a whole lot more things after I got saved. So I went down, I lived in Kansas then, and I went down to the Kansas Unemployment Office. And down there they had these uh, microfilms things. You go get them and you put them on a little thing and a reader thing and then you can read what's on there. And what they had was everybody in the state of Kansas that had sent employment information over there to the state employment office where you could go and find out what was available for a job. And I went over there and I started looking kind of down at the bottom of the list and and all of a sudden it just hit me. Why am I looking at the bottom of the list? So I just turned the knob and I went to the top of the list, the highest paying jobs they had. And there was doctors, and surgeons, and lawyers, and stuff like that. And then I got down just a little ways from the top of that. And there was uh, some insurance opportunities there. Ray's actually doing some of that kind of foolishness now. And, and I thought to myself, I could do that. Possibility thinking. So I found the one that was looked like it was the best paying one that would start you. Matter of fact, they said, we will start you at what you made before immediately and pay you that while you train. And I called them up and they asked me to come in for an interview and they hired me on the spot. And uh, boy, did I learn a lot. I got saved while I was working for them. And I was, an, I was an, a manager within two years. And I always made better money than I'd ever made before, every time. Opportunities are everywhere. Some of you think that you're on a fixed income. Most of you, or some of you anyway, I won't say most of you, but some of you are on a broke income. And it needs to be fixed. Amen? Opportunities are everywhere. There are, there are things you can do that you never even thought of yet. I've, I've, been, watching, I've been watching Josh there ever since he got saved. How long have you been saved now? Five years. Five years? Wow. It seems more like four and a half. No, I'm just kidding. It, it doesn't seem like he's been saved five years, but he has. I've been watching him. He's, he's sat through every lesson I've taught from the book of Proverbs, sitting in my Bible class. And every week, what he learns from Proverbs I watched him do it. He would go out there in the workplace and start practicing what he learned. And he's not doing the same thing he was doing when he started. 
He's doing some of that, but he's doing that and this and that and that and that other thing too. And probably I haven't been watching his bank account because I don't have access to that yet. But, <laughs> but uh, as far as I know, he's getting paid for every one of those. Opportunities, things that he didn't know that he could do before. He's doing things now that he couldn't do before. They didn't know he could do before. Opportunities are all over the place. They're everywhere you look. As long as there are people who have needs, there will be paying work for those who are willing to meet those needs and fill those needs for them. As long as that exists, and that is always going to exist, don't wait around for God to send you an opportunity. They're already sitting right in front of you. Open your eyes and allow God to give you the power to see them, to see those opportunities. Why would a Philippians 4.13 Christian who can do all things through Christ limit himself or herself to only one thing for that matter? Or just a single thing, for that matter. The Bible tells you to go after all different sources. I mean, one after another after another in the Scripture, there are people in there who are, are practicing several different sources of income all at one time. The Proverbs 31 woman, most famous woman in the book. Well, maybe Mary, okay, but... That, that's, that Proverbs 31 woman, you know, who, you know who she was? That's Bathsheba. That's, you said, well, I've, I've, I've got a bad reputation. When I was growing up, I did a lot of stupid stuff, and I don't really have a good track record, and I probably can't get a very good job. I don't. I. I doubt there's anybody here that had a bad track record as Bathsheba. But that's who that woman is. And she has, I, you know, I never did stop to actually count them, but she has a, a whole myriad of sources of income. Not counting what her husband makes at, on the town council. He was probably the mayor. We don't know for sure, but he was sitting in the gate, and that's what they do in the gate. Opportunities. Who do you, who you think showing her those opportunities? Allowing her to excel in all those different areas. What God gives us is the power to see it and then act upon it. <clears throat> you are a Philippians 14 Christian if 14, 14, 4, 13 Christian if you're saved. You are. That's who you are. First thing I've tried to tell you, at least in this particular section of the message, is to remember who you are. Jesus didn't save you because of who you are, did he? He saved you because of who he is recreating you to be. Some of you may be thinking that this message is not spiritual enough for you. 
if it's not spiritual enough, tell me why there are 2,350 verses in your Bible about finances and how to handle it correctly, and a fraction of that about how to be saved and go to heaven. Does that mean finances are more important? No, it means that after you get saved, it's going to become very important. Your reputation, your standing in the community, your ability to be listened to when you speak, all dependent on your integrity, which is a major part of the financial scriptures that you need to pay attention to follow. I read all these verses of scripture about finances. Yeah, some of them are about giving, and I give. And I give generously, and I do it gladly and cheerfully. I have since I got saved, or shortly been sorry. And being stingy is not a good financial idea, so don't be one of those. But I've learned that, yes, I believe in Jesus, but I've also learned that Jesus believes in me. Have you any idea? I think some of you do have somewhat of an idea of what a mess Jesus saved me out of. And you know that because he saved you out of a mess just like it. Or maybe even uglier than mine. Who knows? I, I mean, there, there had to be something he was looking forward to. The Bible says that, says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. What joy is there in enduring a cross? It's the joy of seeing what you're going to become when he saves you from your sins and teaches you his word and turns you loose to serve him. Well, all I can tell you this morning is maybe you ought to believe in yourself a little bit more too. I didn't write this down to put in this message, but the Bible says that part of the greatest commandment is that you're to love your neighbor as yourself. If some of you loved your neighbor as yourself, they would move. You can figure that out later. The last thing I want to encourage you to do, and I'm, it's afternoon, and I'm, this is running longer than I thought it would, but it's because of Justin. <laughs> he took, took up too much time this morning with the kids. Next, I want to challenge you to go out and begin your adventure. If you're young, the Bible has some clear recommendations for you. We have some young folks here. There's Joey sitting back there. He's pretty young. Lamentations chapter 3 verse 27 says that it is good for a man that he bear the yoke in his youth. It's good for you. A yoke is a form and symbol of bondage. You say, well, how can bondage be good for me? 
The yoke keeps the ox or the horse right where they are, right where they're supposed to be, and they can't get away from it. They're tied to it. The reason that this is good is that we all must learn to serve under authority. Everybody has to learn to serve under authority. Some of you haven't learned to do that yet. God says that we must submit to the authority that's placed over us. And the sooner in life that we learn to do that, the better off we're going to be. Only when you become a profitable servant will God open doors of great opportunity to you. Learn to submit to authority. By the way, it starts out with doing what your parents told you because they're your authority in the beginning. Now go out and find what God has for you. That's your challenge. There is a program in place already for this. God put it there, and I want to read it to you. Here's what it says. This is Matthew chapter 7, beginning in verse number 7. It says, first of all, ask, and it shall be given you. Seek, and you shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that asketh receiveth, and he that seeketh findeth, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Or what man is there of you, whom if his son asked bread, will he give him a stone? Nobody would do that to their child. Or if he asked a fish, will he give him a serpent? A snake? Nobody would do that. If you then, being evil... Are you? Duh. You look in the mirror. If you then being evil know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your Father which is in heaven give good things to them that ask him? Don't tell me God's chosen for you to be poor and broke all the time. Don't be so foolish just to ask and then wait by the phone. You ever do that? You ever send in a resume and just park by the phone? Just waiting? Say, well, the Bible says to wait on the Lord. The Bible also tells you what to do while you're waiting. Seek. Knock. Get out there. Asking is to be followed up with seeking You do that in the paper. Well, you used to do that in the paper. Now you do it online, but you do it with people you know, but mostly just open your eyes, look around you. Most of the great opportunities that you have taken advantage of in your life were sitting right there for a long time before you opened your eyes and noticed that they were there. God is almost certainly going to answer your prayer by giving you the power to see an opportunity. Along with the seeking, don't forget the knocking. That means being out there in person. Nobody wants to do anything in person now. We want to text instead of call. God forbid we should knock on a door. Go out there in person. Look them in the eye with a firm handshake. 
believing in yourself, stating with confidence what you can and will do. And you're going to find people are going to believe in you when you do that. When you do this, you can certainly expect the enemy to get involved. Christians always have the enemy getting involved. Thus, you need to also, and don't forget this last point today, you're going to have to learn to discern what is and what is not from God. Except for perhaps the early stages when you're young, what comes from God is something that you're going to love to do. Look what I get to do for a living. Do I I look like I like my job? I love my job. I got the best job on the planet. God said a man should enjoy the good of all his labor. That's what it said. We read it. This would be three times now. And that he should rejoice in his labor. Do you, do you know what I do when I get to see somebody put their trust in Jesus? You say, well, that's not labor. Well, follow me around. See, when I get to go home when I'm teaching Bible classes and how late it is when I get there, don't tell me it's not labor. But when I see the results and I see the fruit, and you are the fruit, by the way, I rejoice in my labor. Your labor is going to come with substantial rewards equal to your skills and your ability to get the job done well. And there's one thing that I want you to ever, ever, ever remember and don't ever forget. When God gives you an opportunity and it's for Him, from Him, not for the enemy, it's not going to keep you out of your church where God placed you. Remember the carrot, Ray? Right after Ray got saved, I, one of the first things, that conversations that we had, I, I, I could see kind of what God was beginning to do in his life, and I warned him about the carrot. I, said, I told him, I said, it's going to come. I said, Satan's going to come along, and he's going to dangle the carrot in front of you like the donkey, trying to get you to go where he wants you to go. And he's going to give you some awesome opportunity except for you won't be able to be in church when you do it. And it wasn't a month later, I think, when they offered him a promotion at work. Money was a lot more. It wasn't as hot and sweaty. and Everything was good about it except for one thing. He was going to be out of church one or two Sundays a month when he was traveling around doing his job. And God love him. He needed the money. But he told him no. He said, I think I'll stay right where I am. They couldn't believe it. But that's what he did. And it wasn't another month later, they came back with another. Now, t- correct me if I'm wrong, but they came back with another offer with more money. And he didn't have to travel. And he didn't have to be out of church. 
he passed his first test on that issue. And he's still sitting back there, which means that he's passed all the other tests that have come after that one. When God provides it, it won't keep you out of God's house. You say, well, there's a church. There'll be another church wherever I go. You haven't been paying attention. The church where God set you unless you think you know about what you need more than God does, is where you'll stay. A job that keeps you out of church can hardly be blamed on God. Do not settle. Stay busy at what you're doing, but don't rest until you find what God has for you. Everything I'm teaching you today is either directly or indirectly based on biblical principles and commands. Everything I'm teaching you is also tried and proven out there in the workplace by a lot of people. And the one I know the best is me. I know what I'm telling you is the truth and I know how it works because I've been there done that. Some people wonder why I still run a business even though our church is able to support me as a pastor. Has been that way for the last 21 years actually. There are a lot of reasons. One of them is that I meet and reach a lot of people through my business contacts. R.O. sitting right back there. He's He's my concrete guy. Still is if I need some. It's a biblical pattern it's in the Bible. Many in the Bible practiced it. Paul did. Peter did. Andrew did. A whole bunch of biblical examples on this. I enjoy what I do, and I'm good at what I do. I, I love it because it's all easy. Well, that's not one of the reasons, because it isn't. One of the biggest reasons that it gives me the experience and the proven authority to stand here and to teach you these principles of prosperity that are true and that at work and that are from the Word of God and that are proven. Lighthouse is a church where you can learn how to be saved. Maybe like no other I've ever been around. Lighthouse is a church where you can learn how to love and to be loved. I doubt there's one of you here today that have been here before who hasn't experienced and know the love that's in this place. But Lighthouse is also a place, a church, where you can learn how to prosper. You really can. There is experience here. There is advice to be had. Mentors that will take you aside and teach you how it really works and show you how to avoid some of the pitfalls and mistakes. That's what kind of church this is. You say, well, this church should be a lot bigger if that's the way it is. It should be. Want to help me see that happen? Amen. Let's stand.
Whether you're saved or not is the most important thing I could talk to you about. And I know how to I know how that works. But it's not the only thing I need to talk to you about. There's a lot more things. You, you, have you ever, you ever really asked yourself why so much in the Bible about giving and finances and all that kind of stuff and comparatively little about how to be saved? Do you, you ever wonder why that is? Getting saved is something you do one time and it lasts for all eternity. You can't lose it, can't give it back, you can't mess it up. No matter what you do, you can't. All this other stuff you're going to have to deal with every day for the rest of your life. It may be the first thing you have to start thinking about when you get out of bed in the morning. Is how I'm going to get all this done today that I've got to do so that I can collect on this job. Or get paid at the end of the week or the month or whatever that is. There's, there are real practical reasons for what's in the Bible and the quantities and how it works. It's logical. It's practical. It's practical. 